Hey friends, welcome to Chasing Squirrels. Thank you for finding the podcast. Before I get to the conversation with Monica Wand, I just, I want to, you know, uh, add a couple thoughts I just wanted to put down before stretching our legs and getting deep into the EDU. So first off, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about sort of, I guess, my my purpose with the podcast and I've had a few people that I've talked to ask me about this and you know what is it what is it about the podcasting and and what is it about talking to different people like you know really at the base of it you know what the heck am I doing with this and and I don't know if I've ever really come up with a with a great answer but my answer that I keep coming back to is that every time I have the opportunity to talk to someone that has an experience outside of my experience, I find that it helps me to understand my context a little bit better. So being able to get outside my classroom, outside of my school, get connected with other educators, sometimes doing similar work to me, often doing things that is very different, it, it becomes sort of like a, a, an active, reflective practice. So I'm able to sort of investigate new possibilities for my classroom. I'm able to co-learn from other educators that are doing really cool things. And, and ultimately, I find it, it destabilizes my thinking just enough so that when I'm starting to consider what could be part of my pedagogy and what could be a part of, you know, whatever I try to do next is that that kind of information I'm drawing from active, vibrant sources, not just from what I'm finding from my Twitter feed, which is invaluable, or any of the many blogs that I read. So I think that's kind of at the heart of it. And, you know, I, in the conversation with Monica, just before we hit record, I said, you know, often I had sort of just these questions. I get too caught up in my head, too intensely caught up in my head thinking about my own context. So the ability to get out and talk to other people, stretch the legs a little bit, has really helped me to understand the bigger picture of education. So that was number one. Number two, I wanted to throw some thanks out to a few people. Um, number one, I think I want to throw out uh, a big thank you to Stephen Hurley. So he is the... I guess he's the voice. He's the guy behind voiced.ca, so the online, all-the-time radio station, hyper-focused on education. And through that experience of being connected with Stephen Hurley, I've had some really, really cool opportunities to talk with and connect with not only other podcasters, but other educators that are blogging on the voiced, uh, voiced.ca website. And also been able to meet some people in, in person and do some face-to-face professional development and, and personal connection that really fundamentally has, has changed my point of view on education. Second, I want to throw out a big shout out to a very good friend. His name's Roland Chidiak. He was one of the, I guess, one of my mentors when I started up podcasting, has offered tons of amazing advice fantastic guy has some podcasts out there of his own Roland Chidiak connects a lot of brilliant content there but I just find him to be one of the best sounding boards and and critical companions to sort of help me question you know what it is not only I do as a teacher but also there's a human being connection there too so we get a chance to talk Saturday mornings on a podcast that we've put together a little bit of a side hustle called Decoded and finally I, I got to throw out the, the big thanks to my family. They know that I, you know, when I hide away for an hour or two down in the basement in my little hacked or cobbled together recording studio, that generally speaking, you know, generally speaking, I'm, I'm coming up kind of bursting with ideas or, or thoughts that I want to share with them, despite the fact that, you know, 
sometimes they have no clue but they definitely I know they're supportive of it and uh, they're happy for me that something like this makes me so happy so the conversation on this podcast is with Monica Wand and the conversation the conversations that I find myself really drawn to these days are ones that are in some ways that the the the, the place that the person that I'm talking to comes from is they're becoming more and more spaces that I just, I don't know if I'm ever going to be in these spaces, but I've been encountering people that are willing to share their stories. And, and Monica is a great example of that. So my connection with Monica actually came through somebody else that I had on the podcast, Richard Erdman. And he's a, he's a well-connected uh, administrator within my school board. And it was just in the passing after having a conversation with him that I got to meet Monica and it was through Monica that I got to connect with Tanya Murray who's an educator in my board that's doing some really cool outdoor ed stuff and I kind of in circling back I thought you know what I think hey there was there was something that was mentioned Monica we we had a quick conversation just quick about um, conservation being outdoors and butterflies so couple months later I get reconnected with Monica helping her out with um, some audio stuff for a presentation that she's going to do and I got to listen to some of the sound bites that she was using within her her presentation she was going to do and I just became fascinated with the backstory to her involvement with monarch butterfly education I'm not going to give away too much but when I found this space, this conversation space, to explore this topic with Monica, I was just mind blown. Because as always, that single picture, that single thing that you notice on the front end, the story on the back end of that just blows wide open. And there's a ton of stuff that we get into in this conversation that I am so appreciative for Monica sharing. And I have no doubt that the story that you're about to listen to will kind of blow your mind away too. All right, Monica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. So on the front end, could you give a bit of an introduction for yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Monica Wand. I'm an elementary administrator in a large school board uh, north of Toronto. I am a passionate outdoor ed enthusiast, uh, passionate about the arts and outdoor education, about uh, conservation and environmental stewardship. I started in my journey as an educator, as a musician. Um, I went to school for a Bachelor of Music and, and that was something that was interesting, but not my huge passion. I wanted to be a paramedic. And uh, I went after uh, graduating from, with a Bachelor of Music and a B.Ed., I went off to paramedic school and had the opportunity to train as a paramedic and work as a paramedic, and then also work as an educator in New Brunswick, where I was training and, and living as a, a paramedic. But I also got to work in the school board and work as um, an educator in alternative education uh, for at-risk youth in, in New Brunswick. And then uh, I came back to, the, uh, to our school board in year 2000, and... Uh, have been there ever since, working in outdoor education, working as a primary teacher, working as a junior teacher. I've uh, had the opportunity to teach everything from K to 10, which has been like set a great foundation for me and given me lots of opportunity. And I think what sparked me to come into education actually 
you know, music is a huge part of it, but it was actually my father teaching me how to sail at a very young age and my parents giving me the opportunity to, to live in an area that was completely natural and uh, giving me skills that eventually I could pass on to working in a summer camp environment. So really, my big passions are, you know, the outdoors, environmental, outdoor ed, music, and the arts. And that kind of combined when I was able to work in a camp setting. So I was going to ask you, because that's a, I love the backstory. And before we hit record, just touch lightly on those asymmetrical careers mm-hmm. that um, there isn't necessarily the equal sign at the end that you become a teacher, but you know, I mentioned that idea of asking your students what the next job could be, and my students were really bewildered by that because teaching is in their mind forever. But within your story, what was it that turned on the teacher? What, what turned on that specific, and I'll say the starting point teacher and now, as you mentioned, administrator, mm-hmm. but what was the thing that turned on the teacher gene within those varied experiences? I want to say it's camp. It's camp and all camp, I'm pretty sure. Um, I, my parents have always said that I was a natural like teacher. I would like lead the kids around the neighborhood and and you know <laughs> teach teach whatever I could. But uh, you know, and then I'd also be like collecting worms and and you know snapping turtles in my pockets and things like that. But uh, you know, the exposure to the skills and to the outdoors led me to the whole camp environment. And I found I found myself as a teacher and a leader as an educator uh, through those camp experiences. Uh, residential camp, you know, in particular, and since, you know, 1988, don't want to date myself, but uh, since 88, had the opportunity to work in camps all over Canada, the U.S., and abroad, and, you know, worked my way through those organizations, learning and leading, uh, to the point where I was able to direct, you know, national summer camps in, you know, England and uh, through Canada, working in the states and so that really has been you know it's the breeding ground for many educators there's a whole summer camp um, environment and if you if you want to become learn how to become a, a leader and someone who can impact uh, students in such like powerful ways summer camp is the way to go highly underpaid mm-hmm. but you don't go in it for the money. You go in it because you're passionate about kids. And I think that's the same thing that we are. You know, all of the great teachers that we have are passionate about kids. And all of the educators in our system, they're passionate about kids. And those kinds of things are equal. The summer camp world and the education world. And really, in summer camp, I think we're teaching we're teaching more the social, emotional um, parts of a child, right? And feeding them and their soul and their... Um, you know, their self-confidence, their sense of self-efficacy. We're feeding all of that in a summer camp environment, giving them great skills too. But, you know, and that plays so well into what we do as educators now. It's pretty remarkable. My experience with summer camp is that I was sent home from two of them. (laughs) (laughs) One of them, (laughs) yes, bad behavior. One of them because I, quote unquote, touched the fire bell. Oh dear. I didn't ring it, but I touched it. That was just the first thing that kind of occurred to me. And it was partially, you, you spark, you know, the glint in your eye right now, which is entirely, like it just, you're lit up. You're entirely lit up. And what's funny is that my daughter is involved in guiding. My son has decided mm-hmm. to, um, he also, I think because of his, his 
constant competition with his sister. He's in Beavers as well, right? So she's been in guiding now. She's gone through the Sparks and the Brownies, and she's in uh, guides right now. And I've I've seen her at pickup after you know one of the weekend camps, and there's there's fire in her eyes, like it really is. And it's interesting because the activities, in some ways, the activities that she does there, um, they they look school-like in some ways. It's There's arts and crafts. I mean, there's, uh, there's uh, physical education. There's conversation. There's songs. There's play. It, it looks like school. But I will say the, the glint that you're throwing down right now, I've seen that in her face. And she, she digs it. Like, she's already talking about winter camp and, and the next step of it. So I, I can see it from a, a parent perspective that... Um, I can see from a parent perspective how important it is to her because of her emotional connection to it. So with with your involvement in camp, you said, did you say uh, nationally, you say in the States as well? Yep, so, Canada States and uh, abroad. So what was, the, what was the pathway to sort of do, and this is when you're in a leadership position, when you were working at a camp. Mm-hmm. So what, how does that look to sort of be able to kind of network and get another job at another camp in the States or even abroad? Like, how does that, how does that dovetail together to be able to get that kind of a, a position? Is it just sussing it out like a job or well, is there a network certainly there? Certainly there's a, you know, that's the component to it. You can, you know, you can search online for a variety of different camp jobs. I came to it a little bit differently. Uh, I Most of my camping career has been in specialty camping. Okay. So most of it has been with... Uh, at camps for children and families with life-threatening illnesses. Uh, so either, you know, cancer-specific or camps that cater to students and children, you know, and families who are suffering with other life-threatening illnesses. And that community is a very um, tight-knit but, but a broad community throughout mm-hmm. Canada and throughout uh, the U.S. And, and internationally as well. And so I was able to, you know, find sister camps and find places where I could move through a variety of different experiences in different countries because I had that connection. And then once you develop that first experience in that kind of environment, you're sucked in. It's, um, it is the most rewarding experience ever to be in that specialty camping field and you're developing empathy. But the real thing is the community building and you're mentioning about your daughter, like that's, that's the real gold of camp is that sense of community and the sense of inclusion and students need that and families who are in crisis because of children who are ill need a community to wrap around them and support them in every aspect of their lives mm-hmm. and for them to see that their child who is gravely ill is having the time of their life and is supported and treated just like any other child and given opportunities but supported medically and all of those things, it, it's life-changing for the child, and it's life-changing for the family, and then it's life-changing for the people who work there, too. So that's, um, you know, that's, that's my story in terms of camping, and that's really shaped, uh, you know, who I am and the kinds of experiences that I try to seek out mm-hmm. after having that opportunity. It's phenomenal, because I think from, you know, you know, as a as a parent, and and seeing the transformation of my daughter, who, um, you know, I guess in some ways has has um, no barrier to her enjoying 
this experience. I, as a parent, am just, like you said, the goal. Like, she just for her to be able to talk to it and have her have a good time, that's what you observe. And you, you're totally, you know, you, you cruise on that positive energy when the kids are, are like that. In, in your experience in, in participating and working at these, um, in this type of camp, was there passion and an interest and dedication and responsibility and whatever sort of falls into the campers code to sort of be in, mm-hmm. in work at any camp. Is there, is there a type of training that would be added to that or is that sort of done in sight? So when you are going to one of these camps and you're participating, not only, um, well, I guess in, in this way, would you also be participating in a sort of a therapeutic fashion for some of these camps and what, what age w- would you have the, the, the camp counselors and are they sort of given, is there extra training or is it saying, you know what, you're good. If you can do camp, you can sort of learn to be a camp counselor as well in these spaces. I think there's a combination of both. I think if you can display the passion and you have like the requisite skills, um, then, you know, we can teach a lot of the other skills Mm -hmm. that, and you know, that people need to be successful in those positions. It certainly helps to have, you know, other skills, um, you know, experience in different situations, experience with different age groups. Um, but that's not a requisite for, you know, being an effective staff member in that kind of situation. We can teach a lot of, a lot of the, you know, creating therapeutic rapport. We can, um, do a lot, we do a lot of adventure programming, um, and challenge by choice and, those skills can be taught and certainly, you know, in the experience that I've had in these organizations, the staff training is pretty intense. Uh, you know, obviously we want to know all the safety protocols and things like that, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond how to create that community, how to create the therapeutic rapport, how to deal with the social emotional mm-hmm. things that will come up when you're dealing with families and, 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 and campers in, you know, in crisis. And uh, those skills can be taught but you have to have the right person who's willing to to do the work and also willing to be vulnerable themselves Mm -hmm. in in their leadership position and knowing that it's it's going to be emotionally challenging but what you give into it you get back tenfold in those situations that's it's like that in any summer camp situation and i think it's like that in any classroom Mm -hmm. you know you you put in the effort and you're going to get back way more than than you're putting in right if you're invested and committed to to kids and and what's good for kids yeah and the vulnerability vulnerable vulnerable that's a good one it's a hard one vulnerable vulnerable you got to save me i can't vulnerability that's it i'm not even gonna edit that out i'm gonna leave it in there (laughs) the um and i know that's a big part of what my daughter sees in it too that she that's I know that's where she can draw her strength to be confident, is that when she feels, um, she feels that openness from the, uh, the guide leaders. So I totally get that. Along the path of that, uh, that learning for you, and even up to uh, now, with, you know, when I look back on, on, on my career and it kind of being this sort of hopscotch path, pathfinding, I can look back and I can see there were kind of turning point mentors along the way that kind of gave me a, you know, put my head on right. Like, are you really seeing what's in front of you, Clef? Like, you really pause for a moment and, and take a good look around. 
Does anyone come to mind when you think back on your path to, uh, let's say, the educator that you are today? Well, um, you know, right off the bat, I have three people in, well, actually four people in my um, life that have have been those pivotal people. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fits into one into every kind of stage of my uh, of my life. As an elementary teacher, I had the most phenomenal um, intermediate teacher who took me under her wing and gave me way more than an academic education. And I owe her so much in terms of what she was able to give me as an individual and to boost my self-esteem during, you know, those times in grade seven and eight when, you know, everything is is upside down for kids, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, vulnerability is huge at that age. And, uh, you know, she inspired me to... She helped me recognize where my strengths were and then helped me capitalize on those and use that to help build confidence and uh, showed me that I had the had what it took to be a leader and gave me opportunities. And that was a gift. And uh, then in high school, I had two of the most amazing music teachers. And, uh, you know, that certainly shaped my desire to go off and to, to become a musician and do my Bachelor of Music. But again, they were there at the right time with the right, you know, the right attitude, the right interventions, the right academic instruction, and just building that sense of, you know, just building my confidence up and showing me again that I, that I had, uh, I had it in me to be a leader and and an educator. And that was huge. And then off in university, you know, I was doing my Bachelor of Music, I played the oboe and uh, majored in oboe and piano. And I had a, a, a university instructor who was also pivotal in making me see that there was more to that music could be more than just playing and that there were so many other aspects of it that you could explore and that um, she challenged my thinking as a musician in a way that nobody else did and made me you know want to teach music too she was intense but in those small you know year four seminars where there was just six of us at the table and accountability was huge we got to see a side of her that was completely different and um and you know she was a huge uh mentor and source of inspiration for me as I left and then you know when I came into the school board you know there's a million people that you could say have, oh, yeah. have shaped who who you've become over the you know it's been what 17 years now in this in this school board um and certainly you know I've met so many people who have who have given of their time and their um and their passion and have given me opportunities to do new things and try new things and uh I'm grateful to them for for what they've given to me and then also I think that you know I I've really developed a sense that you know the you need to give back, right? And as an administrator, I try to think about what are the ways that I can support other people in the way that I've been supported through my career. And I want to be able to create those experiences and opportunities for the staff that I work with and the people that I encounter every day in my role. And, uh, you know, I one of the things that you want to potentially talk about is Arts Camp. And in our school board, we have a great... Uh, program for students grade 7 to 12 
uh, eight-day program of immersive arts, and it happens in Halliburton. And uh, I've been lucky to be involved with that organization for um, you know 16 years, and now I'm the director of that. And it kind of uh, we just had an interview session for our counselors and our counselors in training, and uh, that's the message that we always send to them that you know you're you're now able to give back and make an experience for students the kind of experience that you experienced and that's made you passionate about coming back and about you know about arts and how arts can be inclusive and uh, the social aspect of it and so those are the messages that I want to keep delivering and the, the what I what I want to keep in my heart when I think about my everyday practices you know an administrator as an arts camp director and, and all of the other things that that I like to dabble in um, I want to keep that heart for service and that recognition that you know, there's millions of people out there who have, well, maybe millions is a little over, overrated, but, you know, there's so many people in my, um, in my journey through education that have been pivotal. You had me hooked. I was wondering what you were connecting millions of people to. I was like, that was uh, millions of people. I was like, she's going big well, style example yeah. here. And I would have, I would have believed you if you had said there's millions of people that I've met so far. Well, I think that, you know, social media has certainly helped in that case too, and connecting with people that like you've seen from afar or you've read their work mm -hmm. or, and then now you're able to like connect with them on a different level. So I guess, you know, the, the ripples, yeah, yeah. you know, they spread out. Uh, but I think, I think what keeps us humble and what keeps us, um, you know, on a, on, a, you know, traveling in a good way in this profession is remembering that, you know, we have to give back and we have to create the conditions for people to be successful and to feel included, feel like they belong. And if we can do that, then ultimately that's the, you know, the best work that we can do. The other stuff will fall into place, but if there's not that sense of inclusion and belonging um, and a sense of being valued, then the other work can't happen. I like, I like that you brought in the arts camp. I can see... I can see the passion connection to that. The is this an anniversary year? It is its thirtieth anniversary. Yeah. And, and how? And you said you're with. Sorry, you said sixteen. This is seven, year. I think sixteen years now. Okay. So yeah. what I'm curious about then, being involved, that's that's a great. It's a great long game to see because it allows it, it allows a depth of observation. Um, uh, and commitment, obviously, and connection, and all the other stuff that keeps you driven by being a part of that community and keeping arts for students, for staff, for our, you know, the school board, all that, all that, um, the layering that just makes it vibrant. Um, in looking at it over the 17, 17 years, can you pinpoint some of those kind of cool shifts that happened where it did become more inclusive, it did become more connected, where you saw like the arts was becoming some of these things that you suggested. Do you have any memories that kind of pop? Like, yeah, that was kind of a cool moment because it felt like something shifted in the right direction. And I'd only ask because it's an anniversary. Like, this sounds like a, it's a, yeah, it's a it cool... Yeah, it is. It's a huge year for us. Um, 
I don't know. Like I joined the first time I came, I had just come back from New Brunswick. I was new to this board and having, you know, I saw the word camp and I got excited. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is for me. And, uh, camp and school. Like, yeah, yeah. camp, like the best of both worlds. <laughs> like this is the perfect job for me. And, uh, right from the beginning, it's this palpable feeling that you get on that first day when the dining hall is crazy with 300 people singing at the top of their voices, running and, and skipping around the room. And it, it was like, oh, this is my place. Like, th- there's a palpable feeling here of connection. And, um, like, it's li- we, we always say life-changing, but it really is. And like, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of times where it hasn't felt that way. Gotcha. Like, it's been like that from the beginning. And I think people always try to ask. They ask me, having been there for a long time, um, and, you know, the big question we get asked is why? Like, why does this work and why are people so invested in it? Why do kids love it so much, cry at the end, count down the days till it comes back? Mm-hmm. What is it? And, you know, I think, you know, long and hard, especially as someone who is now the, you know, the the head of this organization, uh, you know, head of Arts Camp, it, I try to think and try to articulate it. And it's so hard to do. And I think it all comes down to like time that Arts Camp provides kids with time to develop relationships, time to like explore new talents, time to take risks with manageable amounts of responsibility. Um, They have time to explore things that they may not have thought were for them. And it's time to be out immersed in nature. And I think that is a huge factor where we're out, you know, two and a half hours away from, from, you know, our school board. And we have time to just be together and be creative. And I think, you know, that kind of sums it all up but not, it doesn't capture it for you, right? Like you can't really understand it until you've been in it. But, um, you know, it's always had that intense, it's an intense experience. It's powerful. We had our closing just uh, a few weeks ago and I'm thrilled when parents come up and humbled when parents come up to say that, you know, this, this was the right program for my child at the right time and they are, are profoundly different having come back. And like, what better reason to continue doing the work to provide those opportunities and the conditions for kids to to learn about themselves, but to feel like they they really belong. And kids, it's a great program for students who often feel marginalized in their home communities or their school communities, and they're coming into this environment where they are they come as they are, and they leave no strengthened in the knowledge that that's enough. Yeah. That's totally enough. And that create mixed with the art and the emotion attached to creation of art and to see the skills develop and the, the relationships develop. And it's, it's profoundly impactful. Like it's, it's changed my life as an educator and given me opportunities to connect with people that I've made lasting relationships with through, you know, eight days together in the wilderness. And to see our kids coming back now who have finished their education careers now in the workforce and now want to come back and teach for us. Like that 
coming, seeing that circle, having been involved for so long consecutively, to see those campers we saw as grade sevens who are now coming back as instructors and wanting to give back. And, and it's just, it's so neat to see the full circle. I think it, it you, you've touched on uh, just another thing that we spoke of before we hit record and the how. So the why gets really slippery, like to sort of figure why this actually works. But you can observe the how, and you threw down a bunch of stuff there, which is the how. It's the method. It's it, it, the opportunity, the 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 activities, the connectivity, the sense of family. All those are the how that I can totally get it. I mean, that's that's something that, on one hand, um, I can remember back to high school. That was everything about the sort of like the arts classes that I was taking, the arts and the drama that I'd taken. It was all about the individuals that, as you kind of said, you arrive as you are and it is enough and you still get to leave as you are, but with a whole other chunk of stuff of what you could be or could do. Like it sort of created that, um, it was just so hopeful. That's really what it comes down to. It was hopeful. And you, and you realized once the biggest challenge that I saw for some people wasn't in, it was the on-ramp to recognizing that they were okay as they were. And as soon as they were able to embrace that, and some of my friends that sort of arrived, my, my best man uh, is a scientist. He's, uh, he's in England. He's managing a very large uh, biology laboratory doing gene research well outside of you know, anything I would be able to speak to. But I met him because he was doing hardcore science at the University of Guelph, and he was in a play with me at the, in the university. So he was, I get that, what he was looking for in his community, in his, in his sort of like science background, he wasn't finding it. Wasn't, it, was, it was enough if he stayed in science, but he wanted something else too. And it's funny, you know, like you see arts camp, I'm, I'm guessing isn't just artists arriving it's kids arriving as they are mm-hmm. and discovering what that art could be. Mm-hmm. And that just strikes me as a really cool thing to happen in a school board. Really cool. Well, and I, you know, the fact that we're 30 years into it this year is just um, unbelievable and exciting. And to see what, you know, what can come of this. And to see that the hundreds and hundreds of kids have come through our program and to see how that has changed them. Mm-hmm. It's it makes it makes it all worthwhile. Entirely, entirely. You mentioned you you tied to the art the outdoor experience, mm-hmm. and that gives a, a really nice segue into some of the other work that you do. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew I knew that we would be talking about butterflies. Of course. And I'm and I'm I, this is yeah. probably the the best line in. So. Um, I don't know the great, the specific access point because I feel like, okay, I'll throw down, I'll throw down my ignorance. That's maybe, that's a a nice, easy way (laughs) to go into this. So, um, I know, I know that you do conservation work with, with monarchs, monarch butterflies. Absolutely. I know that's just a scratch on the surface. My, my connection to this originally was walking into, um, not only the daycare, but also the elementary school classes of my children and seeing that they have, I don't even know what to call it. It's some, it's a clear aquarium type mm-hmm. thing. And I can see that they have um, chicken wire across the top and they have 
Specimens? Specimens. I don't know the terminology. You'll have to say me. Livestock. And I, someone said that before, and I was like, yeah, livestock, livestock, I guess? Okay, yeah. I guess, yeah, it's farming, isn't it? It's a little bit like farming. So, and they're, they're hanging from the... the, the um, the, uh, the chicken wire on the top, and then at some point, my kids would say yes, and we released them out back. And I was like, oh, like, and I always wanted, I think I, I was like, okay, sounds cool. And then you kind of, as a parent, as a parent, I was like, okay, that's an activity that's done at elementary school. I think me as Chris, though, I thought, like, what else is going on there? Like, it can't, it's not that, it seems simple, but there's got to be more stuff to it. Mm-hmm. So what are the other bits to it? And you oh can start, I know. Oh, my goodness. We could um, talk about this for hours. But what's, so what is it that, okay, so let's go this, let's go this route. That is an activity at elementary school. Mm-hmm. Why does that work so well? What is mm. the thing about it that sort of, that you've observed or you just know or that you've been a part of the design? Like, because both of my kids love it. They love it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, but like, they're just like, and again, because I don't see the full activity, there seems a lot, a whole lot of stationary time, like waiting for something to happen, mm-hmm. which is cool. Learning wait time is important. But what else is there in there? Like, what is the thing that, because my kids love it. They talk about it every year. Oh, geez, this is such a big question. Um, you know, in terms of outdoor education and environmental education, outdoor literacy, environmental literacy, all of those components you know, the, the driving factor in outdoor education, I think in our board too, like our philosophy is, you know, kids can't love what they don't know. Mm. And that's really the foundation for conservation work and stewardship work that, you know, we do with students and trying to um, give them experiences so that they start to care about what is around them, to be more observant, um, to take action, to have a voice, to care for something. Uh, much larger than themselves, even though, uh, you know, a monarch butterfly is, is, you know, we consider the monarch butterfly to be charismatic megafauna. You know, we're so used to in Canada, especially looking at, you know, polar bears or wolves or, you know, a variety of these big megafauna that, you know, are spearheading, you know, conservation efforts worldwide. But, you know, this tiny little insect, you know, one-tenth of a dime's weight is we consider it charismatic megafauna too. It's a way to hook students so that they are developing those mindsets for stewardship and and conservation. And um, it works because there's magic to it. Like for me, you know, as a lead instructor with the Monarch Teacher Network of Canada, um, you know, my job is to go around and teach educators and naturalists and nature lovers uh, all throughout the country about monarchs and how to use them as a springboard and a teaching tool to develop conservation and stewardship practices in students. And But we found out that it's not just students. We've developed it in the teachers. We've developed it in the communities that are touched by the families that are now engaged in this. And it's, you know, that ripple effect again is mm-hmm. in play here. And... Um, it works because there's magic to the story of the monarch. It works because the monarch that we have in North America spans, you know, crosses three countries. And the story behind the monarch is a story of people, it's a story of the monarch, and it's a story about milkweed. And all of those stories intermingle in a way that, you know, there's lots of science 
attached to it and lots of, you know, really interesting work that's being done tri-nationally, but there's also magic and mystery, this whole idea of migration. In North America, we are the only people who have a migrating monarch species that's now at risk. Uh, currently on the SARS list, the species at risk list, it's uh, listed as species of special concern, but that will soon, um, with um, you know, prompting by COSAWIC, which is an organization looking at species at risk, um, they have recommended that it now be endangered. Mm -hmm. So the one that we have in our backyard, the migrating monarch, is going to be, you know, inevitably put up onto the SARS list as endangered. And to know that we can have impact, one little, you know, we, we talk about it in our workshops that you can, um, you know, you can change, you can change the, the future of this insect basically one plant at a time. And so I think there's so many layers to this story that make it exciting for kids. And I love that you mentioned that it's time. Like, there is a lot of waiting, but there's anticipation with that. There's mm -hmm. questioning, the inquiry that comes from their experience with this and how it translates to their feeling about other species and their feeling about what they can do in their own homes and communities to help. You know, we're, we're inspiring kids through this tiny little iconic insect. It's... I don't know. It works on so many levels. I, I love the I, and I love this the the scalability of it. Um, I follow a few people on Twitter that are really ardent, passionate drivers of global goals, and I get it. I get it. And I think, though, in some ways, that that's on the one bookend of real real-time projects that can have a real-time impact and you can get your hands right into it right away and start to affect change but it's at such a large scale mm -hmm. that sometimes the narrative that you do to lift that up all that time could be used on the other end of the scale where it is kind of local I mean that's the sliding scale sometimes about being the global citizen I mean the counterpoint to becoming the global citizen sometimes is like well what are you doing in your own community mm -hmm. so that's one big discussion what I love I think what um, just so much about it fascinated me what, what, what hooked me and what I couldn't get out of my head was in listening to some of the audio that you had for a presentation you did recently and one of the bits in there one of the things that was mentioned was feeding a butterfly. And I listened to that, and I listened to that a couple times, and I tried to imagine that dynamic of feeding a butterfly. Because, again, it existed in a space where I was like, people do that? They feed <laughs> butterflies? And it really, it engaged my thinking, and it sort of engaged, and you've touched on this, a little bit of that magic where you observe an activity that just doesn't make sense yet it's, it's entirely on point and you need some tutelage in it to sort of like, no, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You can, you've said you can handle the butterfly if done appropriately. You can handle its um, environment, whatever the, and again, the, the aquarium that's in, like you can do these things, grade two student. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that makes it so cool to put something that, as you've said, has such a global impact or is viewed globally but entirely work that can be done in your backyard, as you've said. 
Yeah. That's mind-blowing to me. Absolutely in your backyard and in the backyards of your friends and your family and anybody you can, you know, suck into this movement. Um, Butterflies are, like, well, certainly monarchs are, you know, a species that's kind of, um, you know, giving us a sense of, of what's happening in habitat destruction on a, you know, a global level. Monarchs are affected by, you know, habitat destruction is probably the biggest reason why they're now going to be considered endangered and on that SARS list. Um, and students can make small changes that, you know, do impact globally, or in this case, trinationally in our continent. And that's exciting for them. And they're, the great thing about monarch conservation and, you know, the monarch conservation community, uh, there's lots of science with it. So there's tons of citizen science projects that kids can get involved with. And so, you know, when I was rearing monarchs in the classroom, you know, in kindergartens and grade one classes, you know, we could engage with hundreds of other people in the continent who are engaged in um, citizen science work. So we could test, you know, our butterflies for a protozoan parasite wow. called OE and send our data away and be part of that. Four and five-year-olds were understanding what the impact of a parasite has on a species and be part of the, you know, the science and data collection for scientists from the states. And, you know, the whole idea of tagging monarchs, the whole thing that that happened in our backyard, like Fred and, and Nora Urquhart from the University of Toronto, they were the ones who figured out where the monarchs migrate to through a, you know, elaborate testing of tagging systems. And those tagging systems still are in play today. And as, you know, classroom teachers and as people who are passionate about monarchs, we can contribute to the science that's happening to, to uncover the magic and the mystery behind this this tiny little insect. And for me, like you talked about, you know, the presentation that I had just done uh, with my colleague from the Toronto Region Conservation Authority, we were trying to uncover, you know, the theme of the, the conference that we presented at was well-being. And we were trying to connect, you know, what does a monarch have to do with it? Because we knew that people were coming to our workshops um, educators from all different, you know, parts of our board, educators from all over Canada in all different ways that they educate and places they educate. And they kept coming back and kept giving us the feedback that this was the most impactful workshop they've ever been to. And, you know, you know, we, we start to stand a little straighter and think, oh, you know, thank you, that's great, and we love that feedback. Anybody would love that feedback mm -hmm. to know that, you know, what they're doing has value for other people. But as the years have progressed, we're trying to think of like what, unpack that. What is it that's making it so impactful that it's impacting the people who've taken the workshop, it's impacting the children and the people that they work with, but it's impacting them on a personal level. Mm -hmm. It's changed their lives, their perspectives, it's changed their families, it's changed their um, awareness and interaction with the natural environment and you talked about hand like hand feeding butterflies and in our workshop we give you know over two days we give the people who are our participants the knowledge skills resources tools that they need in order to you know successfully raise a monarch in the classroom 
um, but then also all the curriculum components to it as well, and then the stories and the you know the the magic element and the science behind it as well. And um, for me, as the one who presents the material, I love watching the reactions of the people in the that are taking the workshop and how. You know, they come in either afraid, totally afraid of insects, <laughs> and they're taking it because their friends said, you've got to go do this, it's the best thing I've ever done. And then how they, they're they changed as well by this, the science behind it is just mind-boggling. And then also the community that develops, and then how it can be, you know, there's the milkweed component, the people component, the butterfly component. There's so many different ways you can take it if you're working with students, and that's why it works well with you know K's all the way to adults. Mm -hmm. And uh, but then the the people who come back to volunteer or the stories that I get, I'll get an email or a text or a tweet. You're not going to believe it. I found an egg. I finally found my first egg, and the excitement that they have when they're texting or calling me to say. Oh my gosh, this has happened. I, like I have, I have a butterfly. What do I do now? Like I, I'm, I'm not sure. Help me out. And those are like, people are keep coming back. And um, you know, the hand feeding part of it is, I think, the most magical when we watch. We we give them the skills because there's a, a number of reasons why you'd need to hand feed. Um, and that was one of the the key like well being connections for us too is that. When you're dealing with a monarch at any life cycle stage, you got to be in the moment. And taking the mindfulness time and the time to be in the moment, I think really resonates with people that it's slowing down, it's caring for this tiny little thing um, all the way through a month long life cycle and reflecting on you know, your practices and what you've done to be able to nurture it to the point where you can release it. And, uh, you know, those are all key components to, that we uncovered were key components to that whole question of like, what does a monarch have to do with well-being? And um, it's just exciting. It's exciting to, to be able to give people a new way of thinking about something. And then that encourages them, their families, their students, and then it's just a wider ripple effect again. So much of, so much of what you've shared has um, a mindful through line to it, um, and often at this point, you know, it's the last question I have. If it, I don't know if I asked. I think I asked questions. I just feel like we kind of like <laughs> flowed through everything, right? That was awesome, but the the kind of end in a space where what it is that you feel like you're chasing or trying to create the change that you're trying to sort of generate in the work that you do. Um, it's the funny thing, I had this conversation about doing lessons for mindfulness, and I almost feel like lesson planning and pedagogy is in opposition to mindfulness sometimes, because you structure it that way mm -hmm. and you strip the experience too much mm -hmm. that will sort of let you you know, exist in that mindfulness. So I don't know if chasing change is a good question for what we've done, but I feel like what is it that you're pursuing with this work? Is there a thing? Do you have a vision? Is it a... Because I'd be, like I said, with the sort of feeding a butterfly, I'm, I'm cool with you saying, like, no, this is necessary work and it just needs to be done. I hope to pass the projects on to somebody else after this. But is there something inside that, the nugget that drives you? I 
I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm excited. Like I'm passionate about monarchs, obviously. Um, I think there's still more that we can do. I, you know, I think. Okay, like I, I seem it seems a little disjointed to me, like my passion areas, right? But to me, they are me, and they kind of interweave and, and drive who I am and who I want to be and, and the kind of leader that I want to be in our system. And uh, I think for me, it's trying to continue to support and inspire people to create conditions where students can have opportunities to have impact and to reflect and be part of something that's bigger than themselves. I think there's great value to that. Um, you know, you talked about, um, you know, what is it that I'm looking for next? And I think the mindfulness part, I can tell you right off, we need to get students outside. Hmm. There is data and research that is just mounting about the importance of children being engaged in nature. And it all goes back to, you know, that saying that, that Baba Dooms, the Senegalese uh, conservationist, where he's basically saying children can't love what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And adults can't love what they don't know. And there's so much data that supports the need for children to be outside. And then the impact of, you know, self-regulation um, and how that's impacted by being experienced with nature. And I think if you have something to focus on, like in my passion area, it's monarch butterflies. That's, you know, an area to get kids to see the world differently. And when we do that and we have them outside and, you know, having the healing restorative, you know, benefits of being outside is what I think everybody needs. And I think in terms of my work as an administrator, I want to support the people in my building, our educators who are looking to explore that more with students and to create those conditions. So I want to be able to create the conditions where they can, you know, feel free to try these things out when they're not so sure, right? There's a continuum of, of um, you know, nervousness, I guess, mm -hmm. with, with, you know, going outside with students. And our board is doing a tremendous amount of work to give PD to teachers and opportunities to learn about how to take kids outside and um, that it doesn't have to be scary. You know, there's certainly always risk assessments and those kinds of things. But, you know, once, you, once you're hooked and you see the difference in your children when they go outside um, and the difference you see in yourself, that is going to have impact. So, you know, I want to be able as an administrator to support those, those people. I want to be able to keep, um, you know, providing PD, meaningful PD to educators in a variety of different areas. And, um, you know, in terms of my passion with arts camp and, and arts and the early years, um, you know, early years is a whole other thing we haven't even talked about, but early years and outdoor education, like they, you can't separate those two. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, with arts, I want to be able to make sure that we're still, you know, we're constantly reflective on what's, what's working and what we could do better at and uh, how we can continue to give students opportunities to feel the connection that they feel at camp and how we can bring that back into the everyday world and uh, think about how in schools we can create those conditions of safety, inclusion, belonging, all of those things are paramount to you know, the work we do in schools and, and with students and families. 
So there's lots of things that um, excite me about education. There's lots of things, you know, you know, now I'm at the point where I can count retirement on two hands, which is shocking to me. And there's still so much work to do and so much stuff to think about and, and learn about and, uh, you know, be able to motivate others to, to get excited about things that they're passionate about. So you'll definitely see me out, uh, you know, outside. That's where you'll see me most. You'll see me out in the milkweed field, bent over trying to find those eggs. And you'll see me, uh, you know, in a camp setting, just uh, reveling in the, in the awesomeness that is camp. If people didn't find you in the milkweed <laughs> or at camp, yeah. how can they reach out to you? They have uh, questions, they want to connect, sure. they want to continue this conversation with you. Where would you like to be found? I can be found on Twitter at Monica Wand, Wand like a magic wand. And uh, you can certainly uh, check out the Monarch Teacher Network uh, website, which is monarchteacher.ca. And I do have to put a little disclaimer in there. Mm -hmm. um, all of the work that we do with Monarchs, the people who take our workshop, they are then eligible for a wildlife scientific collector's permit, which you must have in order to rear, raise, or take monarchs out of the wild. Right. So I.e. to your the, backyard. Yeah, or into, like, your home, into your or home or okay. into a classroom. So that's a, a Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry permit. Mm -hmm. So the great thing about our, our workshop is once um, our participants have completed it, they're eligible to get that permit under our Monarch Teacher Network of Canada permit. And so they can do the work knowing that they're using ethically sound practices that are endorsed by the MNR. So that's really important for anyone who's listening that, you know, that's a component that many people don't even realize. Right. And that's important to the work that we do for conservation and the scientific component to, you know, monarch conservation and stewardship. So that's, I just got to plug that in. No, there I love it. So I totally dig know. the alignment. Totally makes sense for sure. Because in the pursuit of this, the mindfulness, the, the creativity, the connection and the science. Yeah. You're not running out to Walmart and just kind of like hopping on the bandwagon. Exactly. You, you want to get some training. Exactly. No, I can appreciate that. And our arts camp, uh, Twitter handle is, uh, at YRDSB arts camp. We'd love people to follow and see what the magic is all about there as well. Very cool. Thanks for talking with me. Thanks very much. <laughs> this was a great it was conversation. It a lot of fun. <laughs> Good flow. Good. All right. Thanks. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thanks. Thank you. Chasing Squirrels podcast can be found on Podbean and iTunes. If you want to have a conversation on the podcast, please reach out to me. Probably the best way to connect with me is on Twitter. So that would be at Chris J. Clough. I also blog a little bit on WordPress. Feel free to check in on some of those topics. And I really do appreciate the time you spent with the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic evening.